How good that we can come together with freedom, together, and praise your name. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Hmm. I've been told this thing is very delicate at the moment. When you hear the crunch, crunch, it's because there's a loose connection here. I'll try not to hit it, but apologies when I do. Or if I see you going to sleep, I might hit it quite a few times and <laughs> that'll wake you up. What sort of weather do you enjoy? Snow? Looks like Laura needs some sunshine. Oh, it's hard to keep people happy. There you go. All right then, off the thermals, back to the weather. Okay. Who enjoys the rain? Oh, a few. Who enjoys a really good thunderstorm? Okay, who's experienced great tropical thunderstorms? I used to love a, a good tropical thunderstorm. In Nandi, when we were there uh, during hot season, it was usually around 3 o'clock when Tania was going to pick up the girls. I was in my nice office looking out, sort of through my air conditioning, at the steamy thing coming, and Tani would get to the car park, just usually as the heavens opened and there was thunder and lightning and the car park would fill up and she would wade through ankle deep to pick up the girls from school. And, and by the time I came home, the sun was out again. It was great. Thunderstorms are amazing things. Uh, they're good. They can be scary. Um, they're really good, though, thunderstorms, because you know, when it's raining lots, you can send your kids outside with, their, um, with the soap, and they can have a shower outside. Larissa and uh, Emma used to do that, but only in Fiji. They didn't do it when we got back here. Oh, this is a bit awful, this thing, isn't it? There you go. Um, I want you to think back to a thunderstorm you've been in, though. What, what do you think about when, you, when a thunderstorm's coming? Often it, it's bright, sunny, isn't it? A, and then all of a sudden, the clouds start to build. And they just start building up and building up, and, and it just gets darker and darker and darker. And uh, I used to also enjoy watching thunderstorms at my auntie's place. She had a farm in Fukuhina, and we used to watch the storms coming over the Bay of Plenty and in from Rotorua. And the two storm systems would meet, and there'd be this massive display of, of lightning and great peals of thunder, and we used to just love watching that. But, you know, when the thunderstorm comes, and if you're outside, it can be pretty frightening. And it gets really dark. And then, and then it's over. And the clouds part, and the blue sky's there again, and it's all good fun. You know, the structure of the book of Romans at the beginning is something like a thunderstorm. You see, it starts really good. Verses 1 to 16 of Romans, there's something to be really excited about. And Paul ends that portion by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. He's got something to be excited about. But then Romans kind of gets a little bit dark, doesn't it? Graham brought to us the wrath of God last week. It was a bit somber as he gets through the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. 
And we talked about the desperate condition of the world that suppresses the truth of the existence of God. Those people who choose to ignore God fall under his wrath. Let's see if we can have some control. Where are you, guys? Oh, it looks like I might have control now. That's good. Thank you. Uh, just depends where the cursor is. People who suppress the truth of God fall under the wrath of God. And Graham taught us from the Word of God what that looks like. We saw that God's wrath has been and is being revealed today by God taking off his merciful restraints on humanity and letting humanity pile headlong into the consequences of their sin. And he gave us that illustration of the cowrie dieback. You know, cowrie dieback causes a tree to die and eventually come crashing down. And sin unrestrained does the same to those who continue to suppress the truth. Graham reminded us that the condition of the world in the first century when the book of Romans was written isn't that different to our 21st century today. Nothing much has changed for the heart of man, has it? And for this situation, there's only one solution. Back to verse 16 of Romans chapter 1. Jesus Christ, the gospel, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The right and proper response to a broken world and the suppression of the truth is for us to repent from that and turn to God. Chapter 1, verse 18, through to chapter 3, verse 20, is pretty somber in the book of Romans. The dark clouds of the thunderstorm are still there, and it's not until we get through to next week, chapter 3, verse 21, where the clouds part, and we see a whole lot about the hope and the good news. Chapter 6 tells us how God's truth works to change us. Chapter 9 and 10 teach us a whole lot about where God's chosen people, Israel, fit into the scene. In chapter 12 onwards, there's lots of practical lessons in Romans about how to live as people who've been transformed by God in this wicked world. But, you know, sometimes we've got to see the darkness to appreciate the light. When we understand the rain pelting down, how dark, the wind, the lightning, we know how important shelter is and how great it is to get. We appreciate things when we've been in the dark. Today's passage, we're amongst the clouds still. Sorry about that, but that's where we are. As we find out who is subject to God's wrath that Graham talked about last week, and who will come under the judgment of God, and who needs to repent. In chapter 2, we read, in verses 9 and 11, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, but honor, so glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, for God does not show favoritism or partiality. So my question to you is, and to me, do you do evil or do you do good? Who determines that? Who makes the judgment? Okay, I want you to take a look around you. You're allowed to. It's not rude. I used to get told off when I looked around the church who'd come in. You know, we had to sit at the front, you know, and if I turn around, I get smacked. I'm like, I don't know. Oi, that's rude to turn around. But can you just turn around and look at who's here, please? You know, take a look around. That's good. It's not rude when the preacher asks you to. Okay. You see who's here? Good. Okay. Okay, now, 
What do you see? What are they like? What do you think they're like? What verdict did you come to about those people sitting around you? Did you compare yourself to others at all? That you're dressed nicer or your hair's better? Or you've got hair and they haven't? Oh, sorry. Um, oh, sorry, rude. Um, did you compare yourself? What verdict did you come to? You know, we can be quick to say what we deserve when we're looking at others, especially when compared to us. I want us to take a look at God's word to understand what his verdict is about who will face his wrath. The verdict is who is subject to the wrath of God and how will they be judged. If you've got your Bibles, could you please turn with me to Romans chapter 2 and verse 12, and I'll have it up there as well. Who is subject to the wrath of God and how will they be judged? Is that you? No matter your age. All who sin apart from the law, verse 12, will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey. The doers of the law will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts and their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secret through Jesus Christ as the gospel declares. Who is subject to the wrath of God and how will people be judged? Well, we just read here that it's not those who hear the laws of God who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey them, who do what is right. It's doers, not hearers, that will be declared righteous in God's sight. And if you're declared righteous in God's sight, you won't face the judgment. So that's good, isn't it? This will take place on the day when God judges people's lives. No, yes, their lives, but God judges people's secrets. So, hmm, how do you think you're fearing now? How am I fearing? Will you be subject to God's wrath on the day of judgment? Because do you do right all the time? You see, sin, what is not right, sin is conduct that's thought, word, and deed that is contrary to God's will for us, which is what is best for us. We know what God's will for us is by two ways. One, through, and Paul was writing to the Jews, and they had the law, and today we have the word of God in completeness, the revealed word of God, and the other way we know the will of God is through our consciences. And that's what uh, is said there in those verses, saying, hey, you know what the will of God is, either by the will of God that you've got written in your hand or by your conscience. Now, in the heart of all humanity, there's an innate sense of what is right. This can get distorted when we choose to suppress the truth, but it's there. And the sense of right and wrong is definitely in you. I know that. 
Tracy just told us about that. <laughs> she knew it was wrong. <laughs> she got off. No. Um, but, you know, when someone wrongs us, we know what is right and wrong, don't we? When someone does something that is wrong, we most definitely know there's right and wrong, according to us. God's word said that our consciences tell us what's right and what's wrong. And God will judge us on the final day according to what we have done to the law or in response to our consciences. Those who are always doers of either the law, the revealed will of God, or what their conscience truly tells them will be declared righteous. So that's good. So do you always do what your conscience tells you is right? And do you always do what the Word of God says is right? If you do, you will be declared righteous on the Day of Judgment. And if you don't, the verdict is for you to think about. <laughs> kind of wraps it up. That's what the Word of God says. Those who will face the judgment of God are those who don't do the will of God. But just to ensure that uh, no one thinks there's another way, Paul goes on in this little passage here to expand the thoughts out. You see, the church he was writing to was a real mix of people, races and um, cultures. There was powerful people in Caesar's household. There was slaves. Um, there was people who had privilege. There was people in poverty. There was all sorts of people there. And and I think when there's any group of people, some tend to think of themselves as better than the others. So Paul goes on to say, it's about what you do, not what you hear. And just remember this, and especially you Jews he's talking to, and maybe he could talk to Christians who have the word of God. It's about what you preach, not what you practice. Let's read the next lot of verses there. Verse 17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, and if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is most excellent because you're instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God's name by breaking the law? As it's written, God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. Be careful. It's not what you preach, but what you practice that counts. Those who are privileged to have the revealed word of God are to treasure it, and practice what they preach, not boast in knowing it. In Micah chapter 6, one of my favorite verses, which we had on the wall in the kitchen, and we'll get it back there because it went when we painted. Uh, but it says this, God has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I don't see anything about preaching to others. I do see a whole lot about doing what God requires. So, we read here that those who are subject to God's judgment are those who are doers, who are, sorry, you will be subject to God's 
judgment if you are not a doer of God's will at all times, and if you don't practice what you preach. And then let's have a look at the next lot of verses here, which tell us that we can't be declared righteous in God's sight by any way except by doing what is good, not even by any ritual or physical sign. And so the Jews had this terrible custom and ritual that they still have called circumcision. And it was something that they were ordered to do. So let's read here in verse 25. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. And if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, circumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is true circumcision something external and physical. Rather, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and real circumcision is a matter of the heart. It is spiritual, not literal. Such a person receives praise not from others, but from God. A lot of words there, right? But what it says, in essence, is being declared righteous is nothing about physical signs or rituals. It's about what you are on the inside. There's consumer laws in this country, and probably most countries, in fact, I would suspect every country, that demands that the label on the container, when you're selling something, matches the contents, okay? Being circumcised, wearing a cross, being baptized, outward displays of spirituality count for absolutely nothing if they don't reflect your heart. So, those who are subject to the wrath of God are those who don't do his will. You can't escape by preaching and not practicing. You can't escape by having a whole lot of rituals that you fill out. God requires that we do what is just and right. Paul goes on in chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, to discuss the privilege and responsibilities the Jews had due to them being the people of God and the word of God being given to them and God being revealed to the world through them. He says in those verses that the Jews have actually failed often in delivering, but that doesn't make God unfaithful. God is still faithful. So, what is the verdict? What is the verdict as to who will face the wrath of God? Now, let's be honest. We all suppress the truth at times, don't we? None of us are doers of what is right all the time. All of us fail to practice what we preach at times. And how we appear is not always what we are. No outward label we apply, no appearance we give changes what's inside us, and what's inside me is not always good. So what does the Bible say? In Romans chapter 3, let's read this. No, I didn't print that out, so I'll have to read it from here. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. They have all turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. 
Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Well, that's pretty brutal, isn't it? Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So just take a look at those words there, will you? We're in a a self-esteem class now. We're trying to build you up. Um, This is the description of you and of me. Now, I'm not being accusatory here. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. And if we look inside ourselves for the answer, we will find none. The verdict is that we are sinful, broken human beings. If we listen to the word of God, if we listen to our consciences, we will know that we most desperately need help. I do. Every human being will be judged. Every secret will be laid bare before God. And when that happens, every human being who has ever walked this planet will be found guilty of suppressing the truth and sin and therefore subject to God's justice and his wrath unless someone intervenes. Here in Aotearoa, when you appear in court, you are presumed innocent until proven guilty. Happens the opposite in the media, aren't you? You're guilty until proven innocent. But, you know, the court system is you are presumed innocent until proven guilty. And I imagine if you're in the dock, thankfully I haven't been there, except when I had to testify in an expert witness case, so that's okay, it wasn't about me. Um, When you're in the dock, I'm sure the thing you want to hear is the judge or the jury to say, not guilty. There's an interesting term we find 14 times in the book of Romans. It's underlined in these two verses here on the screen. It says, declared righteous. That term, as I said, appears 14 times. While no one will be declared righteous by what they do before God, the good news, the good news of Romans, the good news of the gospel is that we can be declared righteous through faith in Jesus. And the next 12 times we read this term in Romans, it's telling us that by faith alone, we can be declared righteous. So on judgment day, we know that there, is, there isn't a possibility of not guilty being declared for anybody because every human being, all of us, are guilty of sin and subject to God's wrath unless we are declared righteous because of Christ. 
More on that next week and in the weeks to come. But I'd like to close now with an excerpt from a message preached by a Scottish preacher. I was going to try to do his accent, but no, I thought I'd better just get him to do it. It's just four minutes. This was shared uh, in our home group the other day. Thank you. I think that was Lee. And uh, he sums up very, very succinctly what we're talking about here, that there is no hope if we rely on our works, but there's incredible hope when we know that being declared righteous is all about Jesus and not about us or anything we do. Thank you. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believe, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Hey, think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You never. You didn't know a thing about church membership, and and yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here for? I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because I, I don't know. Well, you know where. Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They gotta get the supervisor agent. So, wait, just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> Guys, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about? Let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy is just there. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said. The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, he 
abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God that just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther said most of your Christian life is outside of me. We'll leave Luther alone now. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, succinct, isn't it? Because the man on the middle cross said, I could come. The wrath of God is an awful thing. We are all subject to God's judgment, and we will be subject to the wrath of God unless we turn to Christ. And as the faith on the cross said, Lord, have mercy on me, and the Lord said, today you will be with me in paradise. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have such incredible hope. The thunderclouds of Romans that tell us about the judgment of the hopelessness of trying to work our way to righteousness with you are parting and we know that there is hope when we trust in Jesus. Lord, help us in the coming weeks to just grasp how amazing that is that we can trust you and know you alone to save us. Thank you for your love that is so great. Thank you that it's all about you and nothing about us. In Jesus' name, amen.